The message you are about to hear was preached at Gosim Africa 2019. Justification by grace through faith. Stay tuned. So we can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to us. In fact, this is not somebody. This happened to me last year at Abekuta. I won't tell you the function. I wore this Agbada uh, dashiki, and I had my phone on the outside pocket. Ah, I finished. I, in fact, I closed the meeting in prayer. I finished praying before I walked from the podium to the end of the auditorium. My phone was gone. Brand new phone, Samsung S9. Now, the loss of the phone was not such a travesty. Let, let me tell you what was so tra tragic. When I started telling the people, my friends that I lost my phone, ah, you put it, I said, it was a gift. You left it for them as a gift. <laughs> Everybody told me the same thing. Not one person criticized the thief. Everyone said to me, you, uh, you, left here. You, you brought it as a gift for them? Ah. I said, what kind of human beings are these people? <laughs> so we have been so messed up that good has become bad and bad has become good. That's the, that's the state. That's the state. <laughs> so, 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 but I, 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 I just want to see more people stand up and contend for the truth. So you're right, we did those meetings. People, ah, yeah, daddy, this, ah, man, this is so good. Ah, bless God. We turn around. You just look back again. They're back in the law. <laughs> What's going on? I mean, people are back at me. Singing the same songs, praying the same prayers, living the same life, doing the same messages. So after a while, you have to do what Paul did. Paul was traveling in the book of Acts, and the Jews were contending against him. He said, you know what, from this day, I'm leaving you ago. I'm going to the Gentiles. Have you read that in the book of Acts? <laughs> That's what Paul did. So yes, we still minister in Nigeria, but we do it very circumspectly. Sons ministries and meetings such as this when the time is right. Yeah, the days of the glamour and the big stage, I'm, I'm just not interested. I'm not interested. I want to see change lives. That's, that's the only thing that thrills me. Now, with materials, like you should not be asking for materials. You, you, every book that I've written, you have it. Because you, were in the, you didn't miss any meeting in the battle, or you were there. <laughs> and so, what I'm saying to you is, everything I'm saying now, they are all captured in, in this, in, in fact, it's not a book, it's a training manual. That's what they all are. Is that right, Chris? They're all there. Can you have them? They're all there. So the, the introduction to grace message is the prodigal God. That's why I dealt with Luke chapter 15. And it's all online, by the way. All those materials are online. Over 17 training manuals. Maybe even 19 now, because Ephesians and Galatians, we just added them. So they're all there. The issue of the law, there's a one we do that's called Christ is the end of the law. That addresses the law exclusively. 
The issue of holiness. There's one called holiness redefined. Redefine it. It's all there. So the materials are there, but maybe what we need to do is do a, um, a special meeting to teach you or train you how to use them. But maybe, maybe that's what the hang-up is. Maybe a training on how to use those materials. But the materials are already there. You understand what I'm saying? But maybe a training, a very, a, a, a train, a instruction, pardon me? Facilitated us, yeah, training. To just help you know how to use these materials. It's there. There's nothing I'm saying that's not already written in some form. Yeah. Now, to your last question about mission field. The message is still the same. I just came back from Vietnam. And the same message is what we preach. So, for instance, you, you have to know, based on where the people are, where to start. The good starting point always, safe, good starting point always, is the love of God. Why? It is the love of God that prompted God to give us grace. So, grace is not just an abstract thing that just came. The love of God was what motivated God to give us something we do not deserve. You understand what I'm saying? That's the foundation. Then the grace thing itself. We don't always have to teach grace from the standpoint of is it one save, always save, one save, you lost and save and lost. You can avoid those controversies, especially when you go to places where you don't want to cause or create any problem. Just teach the fact that you, God gives you undeserved, unmerited love and favor. Nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue with that. And then for those that want to be instructed further, like Paul did with Apollos, they ask the question, then you can answer them. But I have no interest in going to any pastor's church and creating problems for them. That's not my goal. But the pastors have to know if you invite me that I'm not going to come there and, and, and preach the law. I can't do it. Amen? So does that answer your question? Praise God. Yes. Wait for the mic. Uh, yes, sir. You spoke about the uh, identity. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> that have to do with maybe um, people... Um, knowing who they are in yes. Christ. Yes. What about an instance where you know that you don't want to underestimate somebody's identity or giftings, and you're in a group? You recommended one of the guys who really sang very well and uh, instruments. Uh, he did very well. You found yourself in a group where anytime you are singing, there's a particular person that you don't know whether he's singing treble or... <laughs> Uh, it, it messed the whole thing up. And you are, you are in the spirit. It will just bring you down. And you find yourself also under the atmosphere of grace. What do you do? No, no. Okay, so grace does not mean we do not speak the truth. It just means we speak the truth in love. So from time to time, you may have to help people find their real gifting. Maybe they're just misplaced. 
you put them in the wrong place, and you may have to help direct them to the right appropriate place. But you do it in love. You do it in love. Now, we all also must manage our expectation. What do I mean by that? The further you talk or you speak the truth in love does not mean that people will always receive it. So you have to manage that expectation. You have to say, you have to take the risk and say, you know what, I'm going to speak the truth in love, but also knowing that they may not receive it and they may upset or may even leave the church. You can't, there's nothing you can do about that. You didn't bring them and you can't keep them. Only God keeps people. John Maxwell said this to me a long time ago. He said, you love people deeply, but you hold on to them lightly. Very important. Now, let me also say this to you. You begin to preach the grace message, you are going to lose people. Let, let me help you understand that now. There are many people like you and I who, is so, who has such a romance with sin that when you are starting to tell people, oh, well, God's grace will cover you, you say, man, everybody's going to heaven, they're going to leave you. <laughs> oh, yes. I've lost a few. But will I change the message? Absolutely not. No. I love them. I thank God for them. But if they don't belong to me, they need to go where to, to where they belong to. Ah, okay. You guys. <laughs> this message will cost you. Abba, go and read John chapter 6. How many people love Jesus? After I told them about, the, about him being the flesh. That they should eat his flesh and drink his blood. What? Cannibalism? Yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> they left me in a hurry. He had to ask the rest. I said, are you guys still staying behind? What are you still here doing? Oh, yeah. So initially, you must expect for people to leave. They will be shaking. And then in time, it will settle down and start growing again. If I don't tell you the truth, I will lack integrity. I'm telling you now, it will cost you. I remember when I first began to talk with this message, I called two people. I called my spiritual father. I said, listen, this is what I'm sensing. I always say, yeah, the message is right. But before he dropped the phone, he now quickly warned me. He said, man, I'm going to tell you, it's going to cost you. He said, the message is correct. But I'm going to tell you now, people are going to leave. He told me. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Why? So quiet in this room. Are you guys going to stick it up, preach grace? <laughs> I'm going to plant CIA in your churches. No, just hear what you're preaching. <laughs> they, just, they just hear what you're saying. Yes, go ahead. My name is George. And, um, your name is what? George. George, George Benning. Uh -huh. um, my question has to do with the grace message and the foundations of the Christian faith in Ghana. Um, we've had, we have had a lot of doctrines of the law, like a hearing of the tight issue, where um, it's Sunday morning. What is done is that the scripture will be read in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. And then um, um, psychologically, you create the atmosphere for the people to know that they have to bring the tight. So it has been done year by year, centuries, 
talking about the Methodist Church. My foundation is in the Methodist Church. Talking about the Presby Church. Now, a new wave. And as young as I am, I'm going to deal with 60 years men who have been in the theological seminary. They've learned all these things. They know the truth. They will not say it. And if you try to say it, they call you a rebellious son. So my question has to do with how are we going to do this and do it well? Okay. Very good question. Now let me tell you how I address it in Atlanta. I taught on the principles of giving under grace for about four weeks every Sunday. Different aspects. And I did not address the tithe issue until the last teaching. I think it was the fifth Sunday, actually. So every Sunday, Sunday, one, two, three, four, five. So the fifth teaching, I now address the tithing issue head on. Now, because had I prayed and anticipated the response of the people, what I did was, that fifth service was a special service in the sense where I ordered the order of service to allow me enough time to teach and then take questions at the end of the message on Sunday morning. So I talked for about 40 minutes and now had an open mic for any questions because I knew that that would generate a lot of questions because they are hearing something that's different from what they've heard in a long time. And the questions kept on coming. Kept on coming. Kept on coming. And God gave us the grace to answer the questions as they came. And it brought clarity. Now, this is what you must understand, George. People may not change in one day. So in the church in Atlanta, they didn't change immediately. Okay? But I, I expect that. You have to navigate change. So, how do I explain this? If you're riding on a bicycle and you want to make a left turn, you just turn and you make a left turn, you're gone. But if you're on a boat, a big cruise ship on the, on the ocean, you don't just turn 90 degrees like that. You negotiate change carefully, slowly, over time. That's the same thing that must happen in our church congregations. You know where you're going. Okay, look at God. It's a great example. From Genesis 3.15, he knew he had to redeem man. It took him 4,000 years to do it. He knew from the day Adam sinned that this has to happen. But Jesus will not manifest for another 4,000 years. Slowly, steadily, preparing us, teaching us, guiding us, leading us, slowly, steadily, until Jesus appeared. If God was able to wait 4,000 years, George, what is your hurry? <laughs> Let the old men keep on being old. Leave them alone. Just give the truth and let God be the one that brings up the harvest out of it. So when I first taught this in Atlanta, I think that first Sunday, we saw a drop of about 40% in our giving. Yeah. About 40%. Next Sunday, we got up there again. I give them scriptures, and I put the scriptures on overhead. Everybody can see the scriptures. And whoever receives the offering, I don't receive the offering every Sunday. I hardly even do it. I do it maybe once a year or twice a year. You know, I tell them what to do and how to do it. And they do it. 
Now it's back to normal. It's back to normal. And people are more healthier. So, so do you understand what I'm saying to you? So you must anticipate change, plan for change, and receive the wisdom on how to bring change about in any given situation. Amen? Wow, you guys are, are you guys sad? <laughs> Woo. All right, dude. Good. So we're back to page 14. We're going to finish this lesson today. So morality matters, but not like the religious people think, okay? Uh, change in identity is required for real change. What we do flows from who we are. What we do flows from who we are. Are you guys surprised to know that East Africans always win the marathon? Ethiopia, Kenya, Ethiopia, Kenya. Are they, only, are, they, are they the only human beings? You can just about take it to the bank. Any Olympics. I've not, I'm yet to see a Caucasian win the marathon race in the Olympics. <laughs> Ethiopia, Kenya. Ethiopia, Kenya. There's something about who they are that allows them to do what they do. Amen? So a life pleasing to God is a response to God's love and gratitude for his mercy. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 1, 2. I beseech you therefore, brother, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice. I beseech you therefore, brother, by the mercies. In other words, because of God's mercies you receive, now present yourself. He didn't say present yourself so you can get mercy. No. Because of the mercies you receive, now present yourself. Amen? So the issue is either Christ is sufficient or I am sufficient. And we know what the answer to that is. Now, if the law does not help me and you to live holy or to please God, why did God give the law? Why? Why did God give the law to begin with? Here we go with the answers. To reveal our inadequacy and need for mercy from a loving God. When you see and read the law, you realize that you are, not, you are not able to fulfill it. And therefore, you throw yourself at God's mercy. That's what Galatians chapter 3 teaches us in verse 23 and verse 24. That the law is our schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. Amen? Now, grace by faith has always been God's message even throughout the Old Testament. Now this, I must say to you, I never paid this attention until recently myself. The issue of the fact that grace by faith has always been God's message, even throughout the Old Testament. And we're going we're gonna to get to that uh, tomorrow. Now, going back to the Judaizers' message. They say you start by grace, but continue by the performance principle. So why would the Gentiles want the law? Because of the heightened awareness of failure leading to alienation, authentic, authentic desire for change, need to feel worthy of grace. So Paul's response to all of that, the issue of love versus grace, in page 15 is that grace plus performance is not grace. Grace plus performance is not grace. Grace and law 
equals to either or preposition. The law directly contradicts the cross. It's not a mere religious debate. This is the point. You can do absolutely nothing to make yourself more or less acceptable to God. Life transformation, salvation is always a God thing at every point. It's always a God thing. Yes, you have something? Yes. Last point you just read. Yes, there. So we can also say that your bad deeds yes. cannot keep you from heaven and your good deeds cannot take you to heaven. Absolutely. Correct. Correct. Now, be careful where church you preach that. If you preach that some churches, they, they throw rotten tomatoes on you. <laughs> but it's true. Because we don't go to heaven or miss heaven on the basis of our deeds. We go or not go on the basis of what he has done. And how you believe or don't believe it. So, I said to you there are three major themes in the book of Galatians. Law versus grace. Flesh versus spirit. Bondage versus freedom. Now, I did not touch a point. Let me see if I have time to, let me look at, oh, no, I need to go. All right. Flesh versus spirit. What is the flesh? It's very important we're able to define it. The flesh is simply the remnants of the old self that continues to dominate us. The flesh is simply the remnants of the old life old self that continues or tends to want to continue to dominate us. Okay, let, let me break that down for you. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Second Corinthians 5, something says, if therefore there's any man in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are passed away, behold, all the things have become new. So what is that talking about? Your spirit becomes renewed, regenerated, born again. But your soul and your body is untouched. Now, before you are born again, your body, your soul, and your spirit flow in the same unregenerate, wicked, selfish direction. They're doing terrible things together. All three in alignment. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. So now God comes in there and separates your spirit and is born again. But the born again experience did not affect your soul. It didn't affect your soul. Your soul is still heavily invested in Adam. Are you hearing me? If you are six feet tall when you got born again, you're still six feet tall. You don't reduce in height because you got born again. Okay, let me use it one that's more drastic. If you used to like alcohol when you were born again, your soul, which is the place where your emotion, your feeling, and decisions are made, your soul may still desire Heineken. You are born again. But your soul will tell your spirit, oh God, let's go drink. That's what we used to do. Or if you are a womanizer before you got born again, your soul will tell your spirit, ah, oh, look at that, madam. Nice figure eight. Let's go pursue her. 
because your soul is untouched. It's now a matter of the new you identity. Taking charge of the situation. No, 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 no. I'm a new person. We used to do that. Yes, I know. I know. I remember the place. We used to go there together. Yes. Our drinking, our woman. Yes. The weed. Oh, yeah. All of that was in play. But I'm a new, I'm a new person now. So what the flesh represents is the old remnant. The part of you that was not affected by salvation is still there. The selfish part of all of us is there. Is there. That's the flesh. So this is how the flesh works. I have a choice every day. No, not even every day. Every moment. To be led by my spirit or my flesh. Let me give you a good example. So maybe my wife does something that I didn't like. Maybe she irritates me. I have a choice. I can respond to that irritation by the spirit of God or by my flesh. What is my flesh? How I feel. What I'm thinking. And how uh, uh, my emotion, my judgment, uh, there's a third thing. My will. I can choose to say, yes, I mean, nothing's so bad. I'm so upset by, about it. I respond to her accordingly based on how I feel, my flesh. Or I can choose to say, yeah, mm, this thing is, I really don't like it. But rather than respond in my flesh, I said, Spirit of God, what's the, what's the response to this? And Spirit says, love her through it. Amen. I have a choice to make. I can choose to say, man, I know I don't want to love her, love her through it. I'm going to respond in my flesh. You, know, you, you have a choice. What Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 is when you respond in the flesh, it brings all the works of the flesh that they listed. That's what happens. And the ability to respond in the spirit is given to you. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering. Which, when you think of that long-suffering, how long God suffered for you, that should just get you humble. When you think of how long it took him, just continually loving you through the mess until you finally responded to him. So God said, now what I've done to you, do to your wife, do to your brother, do to your sister. You follow what I'm saying? You had something? About um, the question he asked. Yes. He says, um, our good does not take us to heaven and our bad to does not take us to hell. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Bible says we should work on our own salvation. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> so I was confused a little bit. Okay. If I should work on my own salvation, and Bible makes us that, mm -hmm. the, um, uh, Christianity tells us that enjoy your youth, do what your heart teaches you, but remember there is a judgment day. Where, where, where is the scripture on that judgment day? Tell me about that <laughs> No, 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 I mean... That's a Christiasus, I think. Good! That's enough. You don't need to give me a chapter. Old Testament. Under the law. Fear is going to bring you to God. New Testament. Love will bring you to God. Romans. 
the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Listen, you are looking at him. I've stood on the cruiser ground. If you don't turn right, you're going to burn. We scare people to get, to get saved. We scare them to death. If you don't get born again, you die and go to hell. And we present hell where they can smell the sulfur. So does that mean I can do whatever? No, I wait, 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 wait. Ah, why well, you not here when I address that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so getting back to the question you asked about working out your salvation, read the context. The Bible says it's God that is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he works it in you so you can work it out. Do you see the difference? In the flesh, I'm trying to work out something that's not been worked in me. It doesn't work. Under grace, God takes the ownership of making you right. The difference is you have to cooperate with you with it. It's God that is at will, both, uh, that has worked rather, both to will, which means it gives you the motivation, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, not your pleasure. So God is the one that gives the ability, is the one that gives the motivation. So your job, when he says to work out your salvation, is cooperate with what God is doing. That's what he's saying. Does that help you, man? Ask. If you have not satisfied, you can ask. You have the microphone. It's like me working with God, mm -hmm. and I do what God asks me to mm -hmm. do, what the mm -hmm. Bible teaches me to do. But even though I'm under the grace, mm -hmm. but if I slip, I've, if I backslide, mm -hmm. does that mean that I still, as I still believe in God, mm -hmm. and I backslide, and I die doing that You backslid in. Yeah, yeah. backslide Yes. Does that mean that the grace I was in it will take me to heaven? Yes! You can, you can decide not to go. That's fine. That's your choice. <laughs> so I, I, I hear you, girl. I hear you. I hear you. I, I was just playing with you. I hear you. But my answer is correct. And let me explain that to you. <laughs> People just got blown away. They, and I understand that and I appreciate that. I, I really do. Because, you are th because, listen, we've been taught this wrong theology for a long time you will understand this. When Peter denied Jesus three times, was that wrong? No, Peter went back and he said sorry. He cried and he regretted. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Where, did you say, where, did you, where did he say sorry? Peter cried. And so, so, oh, wait, wait, wait. So crying, no, wait, wait. You are equating crying now with saying sorry. Are, are you making that up or is that scripture? No, but he regretted it. But... <sighs> Have you ever seen a fornicator that don't regret it? You're making it up. The, the point I'm making to you, the, okay, let, let me explain to you this way. But I really appreciate your tenderness and your innocence. I, I want to commend that. But let, let me help you to understand what I'm saying to you. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus went on the cross. Madam, hello, what's your name? Comfort. Ah, what a big name, Comfort. And you're worrying about backstage and making heaven? <laughs> So, watch this. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus went to God, were you there? Answer me now. No, please. Good, you are not there. Good. 
So when were you forgiven of your sins? Jesus Christ died. Ah! But you are not there. So the forgiveness he gave 2,000 years ago caught up with you in time. Wait, 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 wait. Which means when Jesus died and forgave all mankind their sins, he paid it forward. Not just paid it backwards. He paid for your sins forward. It's not like these credit cards we are carrying. He paid it forward. So you, in time, came in, believed that he paid it forward, and you are born again. So now, if you are born again because your sins were paid forward, can I ask you, if you live to, 99 year, to be 99 years old, which of your sins in the future is not taken care of? Huh? Oh. Ah. So why are you worrying about if, what will happen if you get back? Listen, the thing is simple. Do you believe he paid it, he paid it forward? I do, but. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, yes, I know but. <laughs> for me, mm -hmm. what I've been thinking for a whole of this year is that when you sin mm -hmm. and um, you didn't regret it, you didn't regret what you, and you continue to do it, you have no salvation. Because um, <laughs> Peter said, Come on, comfort, go on. Go on. Go on now. See, that's the reason I was asking at the beginning there. When did Paul get born again? Did you ever find Paul say he was sorry for what he did? I'm asking you. No. God, hear me. God is not like Donald Trump. Oh. <laughs> By that I mean it's not egotistical. It adds absolutely nothing to God for him to say, I'm sorry. Does that change God? No. He doesn't add an ounce to who he is or take anything away from who he is. No. He doesn't. He's done it. He's paid it forward. That's what's painful to God. That all mankind is forgiven. All of them. Including Hitler, Osama. All of them forgiven. But all of them will not receive it because they've not accepted it. That's the difference. Um, part mm -hmm. of the Bible says that sick of the grace, should I still remain in my sin? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, please, let's be patient with her. Amen. This is her first time she's hearing this. And as just I was saying to my son over here, it takes a different perspective to understand this thing. So let her ask. For me, ask the most, what you think is the most foolish question is actually the question that is wise. And so let's just be patient with her. She's, she's hungry. She wants to know it. And let's just give it to her. I mean, some of us may have caught it along the line all morning. But she's coming into it now. And uh, it, it's just a God thing. And so le let's just pour what we need to pour in her. Amen. 
Yes. And I think that's where it's coming from. If you uh, you backslide, uh, how do you backslide? I'm asking you. So he's saying that, like if you are you are a Christian and you backslide, but if looking at what Papa have taught us so far, that means that the Christian cannot backslide. You can only deny Christ. Or maybe you, you decide, like the example he gave to us, that the man of God uh, said he's out of the faith. You see, so that is where she's coming from. But I think that uh, uh, we have uh, gotten her and we have all gotten you. And uh, So, so let me help you with this there. Thanks, Bishop. Yeah. We need to understand God's perspective where it comes to sin. When Adam sinned, we know clearly it's because God warned him, in the day you eat of this fruit, you surely die. Right? You remember that? Okay. So he did. He ate it. He sinned. To help me and you understand how God relates to men and women that sin, who went to look for who? Come on, answer me now. How about you ask me a question and answer? <laughs> Aha. So that debunks all our backsliding theory. Because we've been taught that if you sin, God, you lose your fellowship with God. No. God does not stop coming to you. You may stop going to God. Big difference. David said, if I've made my bed in hell, you are there. If I go to heaven, you are there. For God has no barrier. The barriers with me and you. Fear, shame, guilt, we pull back. That's why sin is bad. It causes you to pull back. You feel a loss of self-worth. God don't love me anymore. Now, God didn't tell you that. That's Satan. Fill your head with all of those thoughts. And that's the reason for which God loves David so much. David didn't care about all of that. Who sinned more than David? Let me give a second one. Because in the matter of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Cain killed Abel. Is that not correct? Murder. Who went to look for who? Where are thou? Where's your brother? They got him where his brother is? Yes. And yet he goes to Cain. Not only did God go to Cain, Cain rather, God said, you know what? I'm going to put a mark on you so that people, they will, say they will not kill you. God put a sinner under protective custody. Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. He said, she's my sister. Who was God going to punish? Abimelech. God said, let that prophet pray for you. 
God did not call Abraham a liar. He said he's a prophet. <laughs> Comfort, are you getting help? Is it getting clearer to you? So what I'm saying to you is, the way man looks at sin is not the way God looks at it. Now, first of all, you must not, God hates sin. Yes. Sin on all or I just, he hates it. However, because of his son, all the wrath and anger concerning sin, he poured on Jesus. So now when he sees me and you, he sees his son, not us. So in that sense, he does not have to execute his judgment upon us. In fact, if I may tell you now, God is no longer angry. So don't believe the lie that India has an earthquake because God is angry with them. It's a lie. If God's anger should bring judgment on any nation, America would have disappeared. Don't buy into all those wrong theology. Ah, the anger of God. All the Indians have earthquake. I swallowed 10,000 people. Really? How about the one we do in Las Vegas? In New York City. So, no, God does not. All ang God's anger is put on Jesus. And that's what magnifies the role and place and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you, are you clear, Comfort? Are you sure? Yes. So, what will happen to a backslidden person if they, are, if they are born again before they backslid? What will happen? I'm asking you now. Thank you, God. You are right. Say it with confidence. <laughs> Correct. Praise <laughs> God. Now, they, they pay the consequences on the earth. Amen? All right, so we defend the flesh. So flesh is life by my own power on my own terms. Flesh is maintaining control. Flesh is protecting my ego. So the issue is by what power do you live? Are you aware that as a Christian, where you wrestle with your flesh? In other words, are you aware of your propensity to wrestle with your flesh? The areas that, the, the trigger areas that makes you walk in the flesh. Are you aware of those areas? Now, the answer to walking by, the, to, uh, to the answer against walking by the flesh is walking by the spirit. Which simply means trusting the spirit's leading, letting the spirit empower you. And the effect of the Spirit's work in your life is really beautiful. That's what Galatians 5.23 is intended to show. Amen? Yeah. Now, three themes in Galatians. Love versus grace, flesh versus spirit, and bondage versus freedom. The law and flesh is bondage. But the life in the Spirit, lived under grace, is freedom. That's what Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says. So the question is, isn't freedom dangerous? And I would say the answer is yes. It's dangerous for those people who do not know how to live in the freedom of the Spirit of God, who uses the freedom of the Spirit as occasion to sin. But the other matter is that only freedom can produce love. We're going to get to that tomorrow. Life transformation has love as its central objective. Now, oh, okay, I thought I missed it. So now here we see the showdown in Antioch. When you read Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 and onwards, Paul had a confrontation with Peter in Antioch over the same issues he was addressing the Galatian church. So he was addressing the issue of the mixture of grace and law in the church. And here comes Paul, I mean rather Peter. 
in second paragraph, page 16, prior to the coming of the Saturday men from James in Jerusalem, Peter used to eat with Gentiles. But when they came from Jerusalem, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those of the circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jewish believers joined Peter in this behavior, even Barnabas. Now, this is very sad. Because Peter, based on his own experience, God had proved to him that God is no respectable person. He was the one that opened the door to the Gentile church in Acts chapter 10, Colinius. So he knows that you don't have to operate in law to be saved. And he's been mingling with Gentiles, eating with Gentiles, playing with Gentiles. Now when people from headquarters church came, hey, headquarters, they are here. General superintendent and general overseers. He withdrew himself. He didn't want them to know that he's been eaten with the Gentiles. Because he feared reprimand from headquarter church. And when Paul saw that, this apostle born out of due order, Amen. you have to understand the setup here, the context. Apostle not from men and not through men. When he saw what Peter did, understand Peter's role. He is the foremost apostle of the early church who opened the door of the church to the world. Day of Pentecost. This is your general, general, general overseer. Who was caught in this hypocrisy? Paul confronted him to his face publicly. He didn't pull him aside and say, oh God, we shouldn't be doing this. Nope. Why? Learn this principle. What was done in error or in sin was done publicly. Therefore, it had to be addressed publicly. If it was a private sin, it would address it privately. But it was a public situation that was causing other people to err. Even Barnabas was carried away. And so Paul said, Paul, Peter, this is wrong. You are wrong. This is hypocritical. You are a hypocrite for doing what you're doing. You know better than this. Because he's already addressing a problem in Galatian church. And Peter was adding to it. So he confronted it head on. Amen? Now, let's look at two irreconcilable ways to, of approach to God. The approach of law, which is works, and the approach of grace, which is faith. Now, this is an example of two people who are both born again. Born again. So, now the works or approach of law. I believe, I obey, and because I obey, I'm accepted, which in my book is equivalent to being on parole. I will explain in a minute. The approach of grace and faith. I believe, and because I believe, I know I'm accepted. And because I'm accepted, I obey. And that equivalence to pardon. Huge. That, you, Blake, you're talking about preaching in mission field. That's a message by itself. These four points. Believe, accept, obey, pardon. That's all you need. That's all you need. I believe. And because I believe, I'm accepted. The Bible says I'm accepted in the beloved. Because I know I'm accepted, I feel motivated to obey God. You know how when you're in love with people, 
they tell you to do anything, you, you are willing to go all the way. All the way. Because you are driven or motivated by love. No compulsion. Ah, man, I don't want to go there. That's another problem with tithe. It is giving under compulsion. Giving under obligation. You must give or else. But when you do grace giving, you do that of gratitude. It's different. It's different. Okay, all right. So, the approach of the law is wrong. I don't believe to obey, to be accepted. It's wrong. Now, the approach of the law is equivalent to parole. The approach of grace is equivalent to pardon. And you see now, I'm hurrying now. What does grace as pardon mean? Let's break it down. To be pardoned is to be forgiven. Like it never happened, it's not on your record. Mm. Oh, God. Have you read the Hebrews Hall of Faith? What God said about Abraham? Where was he lying? When God was given a testimony of the Hall of Faith, did he mention what Abraham did? Even Samson, God did not mention what he did. Not David. None of them. Why? Because when you are pardoned, it's as if it never happened. <laughs> Read it in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 8. It says your iniquities and transgressions I will remember no more. This is God comfort. Hear me there. He said the iniquities and the transgression, he will remember no more, which means he has the ability to remember it, but he made a choice he will not do so. He chooses not to remember them, but you will not let it go. Every time you come to prayer, oh, Father God, forgive me. Yesterday, I, I stole the uh, Kelly Willie from the store. Forgive me. I drank Heineken. Forgive me. Things he said he will never remember. You continue to rehash it in his ears. He said, listen, I know, I'm not saying that. I have the ability to know everything. I'm omniscient after all. I know all things. But I've chosen not to remember them. But will not let him rest. I wrote a book on the tabernacle. And the first step in the arrow court, I used to say, is a step to confess your sins. And you come there and just confess, confess, confess. You pray, God, can I remember the one from last week? Yes, yeah, okay, this one. You confess it. How about the one from last month? You confess it. All day you're confessing sins. Something that Jesus has totally, completely taken away. The church is packed there. Continue to, re to remember that. Pardon means it never happened. It's not on your record. A pardon is unlike parole. A committed sentence which says you are still guilty, we are just not going to make you pay. So when you're on parole, it still says you are guilty. But we're just not going to keep you in jail. We're not going to make you pay. But you're still guilty. We know you're, it's still on your record. You're on parole. And in fact, under parole, there are certain conditions. If you break any of the conditions of parole, you're going back to jail. You're going back to jail. Ah, that's a true story. I don't want to go there because then it will take more time. You can read it on the bottom of page 16. Amen? 
So, page 17. Pardon is justification. It's not a sentence that's commuted. You are not let out on good behavior. It means to be declared innocent. You are totally accepted now and can't add to acceptability. You can add nothing to it. You are pardoned. So the, the, the bottom line is, who will you trust? Your self-righteousness trying to get yourself right or Christ's imputed righteousness? Number two, pardon is union with Christ. We already addressed this objection about how grace excuses sin and the response from Paul is no way. Galatians 2.17. We have a new identity. You are no longer a prisoner. In the United States, prisoners are not recognized by their names. They give them numbers. Number 159037-265. Every prisoner will memorize their own numbers. The idea is to dehumanize them by giving them numbers and not names. Yeah. But it's not so as a believer. You are a new creation Amen. in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Living the grace life is not. Living the grace life is not that God has made you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be one sentence. That's what confused me there. Living the grace life is not that God has made you better. No, it's not making you better. Rather, He has made you new. Big difference. Now, what does pardon look like for living the Christian life? If you are living on parole, you can look on the left. You can see all your characteristics. <laughs> but if you're living under pardon, you can see the one on the right. Parole says self-reformation. You prove yourself worthy by the things you are doing. Fear, just one bad choice and it's back to jail. That's it. That backslide, I'm, 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 missing, I'm going to hell. That's, that's the way parole thinkers are thinking. And unfortunately, they fake living. You minimize failure, you make excuses, you hide or redefine sin. And lastly, penance. You focus on what, what to avoid. Pardon is regeneration. You live a life, of, a life of gratitude. You're not worried about stepping on a landmine. By that I mean you're not afraid of what's going You're not afraid of making a mistake and getting in trouble. No, you are living the free, freedom allows you to explore new territories. You're always a few decisions away from real health. Meaning, you know there's areas that you need to address. You have to make a decision to address it. Just a few decisions, you make adjustments, and you're gone. Okay? You're genuine. You're candid. You're real deep. You're real about deep character stuff. You're positive in your focus. It's about where I am growing, delighting in Christ-like love. Now, signs that you may still be falling under the law. If you want to know today, if you're under the law, here are the signs. Number one. You spend more time in prayer apologizing than giving thanks. <laughs> prayer declines and it's hard to enjoy. Most of your prayers are centers on yourself. You start your prayer time on what you have failed to do for God. You have anxiety and insecurity. You are, in, you are unable to admit your fault to others. You continue to rationalize, minimize, and blame shifting. You're constantly comparing yourself to others. You focus shifting from loving others to personal holiness. You are man-pleasing. You need to impress others. You are dishonest. You pretend you are better than you are. You are judgmental. You lack grace towards other people. 
your focus shifts to minor external moral issues, like what you wear, what you cover your head with, and, you know, of course, spiritual starvation, which leads to vulnerability. This is where immorality and the like happens. Thank you for listening to this message. You can reach Pastor Bank on Facebook at Pastor Bank Akimola, on Instagram at Bank Akimola, on Twitter at Pastor Bank. Stay blessed. We can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to